You're listening to Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. My guest is, uh, last time he was on, I say, we were just discussing this about six or seven years ago, um, probably one of the more known cartoonists that I've had on the show, Jeff Smith, uh, most known for his Bone series. Um, everyone I know who has kids has kids that read Bone, so that kind of uh, gives you an idea. It's a pretty, pretty popular, well-loved well-respected work, um, but the latest book, Rassel, is kind of a whole different direction, and uh, I'm excited to yak about it. Thank you for joining me today, Jeff. Hey, my, my pleasure. Now, my first thought, I was thinking about this, um, is you mentioned you listened to the, to the, re-listened to the last time you're on, and I'm glad, because you said <laughs> yes, something on, I did. you said something on the show which stuck with me, um, since then, and I think shocked Colin Upton to almost have his hat jump off his head. Uh, <laughs> it, it, we, we asked you about your next project, and you're like, all I can say is about fucking and death. <laughs> right, right. And uh, here we are. And it was. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not quite so uh, specifically as I made it sound, it was a death. That's right. I forgot. That's right. We were uh, when last we spoke. I think I had just started to put out Shazam, um, which, as I told you before, the show. I I hardly even remember that project. <laughs> like, like, what are we talking about? Shazam? What's that? But we did. I did mention that my next project. I, I don't think I let loose the name of it yet. Unless I did, I don't remember that. But uh, yeah, I said it was going to be kind of a, a a philosophical book about fucking in death, which was a bit of hyperbole, but, um, but in a way it was. Well, I mean, it seems to me um, it's kind of, it's a big, it is a big shift from your previous works with Bone and then the Shazam book um, really taking you into a completely different direction, and I think there's, there's something about that, like, placing that demarcation here that like it's a little different or maybe it's a lot different well i i mean i would assume that i mean if somebody looks at it they would recognize my drawing style and even my panel to panel syntax you know the way i make comics I, I would think it'd be recognizable as my work but yeah no but subject wise um gosh i i mean bone was Bone was about innocence, you know, under duress, under attack, and, you know, just trying to survive. Whereas Russell, it's definitely, you know, I'm in a different stage of my life, and it's it's definitely aimed at a different um, audience. And it's about people who are damaged, you know, and who have made, you know, some, some poor decisions in their life. Uh, and the consequences uh, of their actions. So it's a, yeah, it's 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 a darker story, and it is about there's a lot you know it's a lot about I don't know kind of the life energies um, that are, surround us, which is you know like you know, sex and uh, death. <laughs> yeah, I mean it really is. I I mean that is really kind of the underlying tone. I mean I don't want to give anybody who hasn't read it the wrong idea. It's not. Um, it's not necrophilia or anything like that. <laughs> there's no, no, there's it's, no it's, eros. It's logo a noir on it. story about about a guy who, um, you know, sleeps with a lot of women, and uh, but he's, but he's, you know, and he drinks a lot. He's he almost seems to have like a death wish because the decisions he's made have, have in his life have made him um, unhappy, mm -hmm. and uh, he kind of reaches a point where he has to make a decision to. To, to fix things. He, he's like a reckless idealist. Yeah, yeah. Which, aren't we all? I'd hope so sometimes, but I'm not too sure. I mean, you, you have a talk show, a podcast. How fucking reckless an idealist is that? <laughs> well, it's certainly not bringing in the paychecks. We'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> College radio just... I rest my case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, the, the subject matter, or not the subject matter, but the some of the the themes and the ideas going it, I'm wondering if they've kind of been of particular interest to you for quite some time. Um, 
Tesla. I was thinking also a lot about like I don't know if you read any like Robert Anton Wilson books. I'm not sure what no, no, I don't think so. He wrote the uh, Luminatus trilogy in the seventies. He's kind of like a post Timothy Leary writer and a lot of stuff about um quantum psychology and just the idea of just people and kind of pseudo I don't want to say pseudoscience I don't know it's kind of hard for me to describe right now because it's also been probably 15 years since I've read one of his books um, mm, I am I'm actually Robin I'm not familiar with that guy's work that's okay <laughs> <laughs> but the the concept of pseudoscience and just uh, I guess for lack of a better way to say it the heaviness of being alive um, is something that's interests me it, from a storytelling perspective I mean, I'm, I'm really into uh, noir film. Um, I really like Dashiell Hammett novels. I like the screenplays he's written, too. And um, there's something about that that does interest me a lot. Uh, and let me come back to that. Because the other thing which kind of ties into your question is, yes, I'm an armchair physicist. I, <laughs> I am totally fascinated by that. I mean, I could never have a conversation with a physicist and fool them into thinking I am one. But, you know, I love to read about string theory. I like to watch, you know, Nova and Discovery shows uh, and, and, and hear about the things that physicists think might really be happening. And it's always way more incredible than, you know, what is in comic books or in science fiction. It's what scientists really think is happening is, is outrageous. You know, string theory and modifications of it, like M-theory, you know, they really believe that these mathematical equations prove or insist that there are parallel universes and things like that. I mean, they really think that. I mean, that's crazy. Uh, and at the same time, I'm also fascinated by the pseudosciences, the fringe sciences, like, uh, and that's where Tesla comes in. Because mm -hmm. somehow, <laughs> somehow Tesla is at, he's he's behind all crazy fringe science from aliens and UFOs to the Philadelphia experiment and the Tunguska event and all that stuff. Um, death rays and the star Wars missile defense system. That's all goes back to Tesla. Um, and some of it's, some of it's nutty conspiracy theory stuff, but some of it's real like, um, harp, uh, what's that called? The high, the high frequency oral active, array program, I think that's it, a radio program, is uh, it's actually this thing in, in Alaska, this huge array of like 48 giant antennas, and they can act in concert to shoot a plasma beam into the atmosphere and do all sorts of crazy things. Like they can use the atmosphere as like a, a, sh like a shield to bounce off of, and they can um, like do readings in the ground, like they can shoot a plasma ray, bounce it down, hit the ground, and wait for the radar thing to come back up and find super deep oil deposits. Mm -hmm. They can also use it as a, a missile shield by hardening the air and raising huge clumps of atmosphere up into space to intercept ballistic missiles. This is not this is not the fringe stuff I'm talking about. This is the real military stuff that's going on up in Alaska, and it's based on Tesla technologies. It's actually patented under Tesla technology and stuff like that. All that's very real, and of course it's not mainstream knowledge, but you can find out about it, which I did. So all in all, yes, I was really fascinated just personally in mm -hmm. physics, the use of it by the military, um, and then I mixed that with the kind of storytelling I, I was just really fascinated with at the time, which was noir and hard-boiled fiction. Tesla's a great subject matter himself to play with, because, I mean, there's, he's so mythical in a way. And earlier, you are talking about the uh, idealism, and uh, he kind of, for a lot of folks, is a symbol of that idealism, I guess. Yeah, and it's what's it's kind of weird is that when I started Russell in 2008, he wasn't that well known. I mean, I mean there were people that knew about Tesla, obviously, um, 
but but it was only the people that knew about Tesla knew about him. You know, he was kind of like a really small cult figure. Uh, and it seems like just in the last five years, he's really blown up. I mean, he's 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 gotten out of the cage, and he's really kind of become this kind of a mythical figure that, in some ways, has been abused, especially by storytellers. And you know, I probably I probably am uh, responsible of doing that myself, but I also think it's kind of cool that he's getting out from behind the, I don't know, the, the shadows of other people in history, because he really did figure out and understand a lot of stuff mm-hmm. that we're still using. Uh, all the all the wall sockets in our buildings and homes all over the world are all run on alternating current, and that was his invention not Thomas Edison's, yeah. and yet nobody knew that, nobody knows that. So I mean, he, he's a fascinating guy, and yeah, he's he works for us storytellers because he's tragic, and he was his own worst enemy. Like he just he just again made terrible life decisions, and was and defeated himself, and and did, you know, and he died penniless. I think his best friend was a pigeon <laughs> living in an apartment in New York City. So uh, yeah, he's he's a great figure for um to layer our, our ideas upon. He's mythological. Mhm. He he's kind of a tableau in a way. I was thinking about you ever read on uh, Leo Theremin? I don't know that name. I don't know him either. He did the, he created the Theremin the you know like you watch his old sci-fi movie from the 50s, and it's like, that sound. It's like this he, musical instrument that you the like. Science, yeah, yeah, I know the noise you're talking about, yeah. So he invented that, and it's like a thing where you wave your hand around, and it, you know, music, the sound it makes is from the frequency of how close your hand. And he's like another really interesting. Okay, I do, I do, I have heard of that. I know what you're talking about. And he, this is total weird me going off another direction um <laughs> oh please <laughs> but he's I, I think he's another really fascinating thing i just want to people know him. uh there's a really interesting documentary because he's a russian guy soviet at the time moved to america creating all these things had like closed circuit television in his house in the 30s where he could watch like what's happening in another room from a tv huh. like really fascinating stuff and then kidnapped by the kgb to go make um, like spy mics and bugs and things oh, like that. Oh, so he's he's like a okay. So I think we know what the sequel to Rassel's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> now, at the back of Rassel, you provide some suggested reading. Um, how did that kind of work inform what you wanted to do with the book? You mean like uh, how do I want readers to? Do no, that for or? yourself yourself mentioning these books oh well i just i you know i i just really love the research stage of coming up with a project um you know it's it's there's usually some some impulse or something that that i that i want to do you know and and in this case it was sort of like doing science fiction and physics and mixing it with uh, hardball characters so then it was just a question of like just diving in and you know it's a really fun thing that part of your job is to you know to just read books on the Philadelphia experiment or read about Nikola Tesla uh, and, and or, you know and nowadays you can just sit around and watch YouTube all day you know and it's really <laughs> it's part of your job but I, I mean I, I don't I don't take it lightly I sit there with a notepad I am I am I'm working but I love that so much. Um, so the reason, I mean, I just think that's a big part of it. And I actually thought, I did that on Bone as well. But this time I thought I'd like to share that, some of that. And so that last page of the bibliography was just sort of, um, you know, I just thought I'd share that and let other people, like, go in and see it. And you know what, And as I'm saying this, I'm remembering that, I wanted people to know that this is real. What I'm talking about is real stuff. I mean, obviously, Rassel going to parallel universes isn't real. But all everything we're talking about, the ideas, the concept that parallel universes exist, 
Israel, uh, you know, and 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 the idea and Nikola Tesla was real, and the ideas that were behind or informed the Philadelphia experiment were real, even if there's we don't know if the experiment actually happened. What was the Philadelphia experiment? The Philadelphia experiment that was the one it, where uh, during World War II, uh, the U.S. government and the Navy wrapped a destroyer escort ship with large electric, or, you know, a, 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 with cables, okay, that they could run electricity through. And then they crank it up to 11. And the idea was that they could create a, sort of a, a torsion field, a, a, a whirling force field around the ship itself and bend light around the ship so that it would be invisible to radar and to the naked eye. And the legend is that uh, it worked for a second, and then the ship <laughs> blipped out and appeared like 300 miles to the south, uh, and then randomly came back. And when it reappeared, the, the crew was like all embedded in the bulkheads and stuff. Like they, they had shifted in space with the ship during the, the, the intermittent phases. So they... Uh, so they were locked in the bulkheads. And there's been many variations of that story uh, over the years. And, of course, the Navy says it never happened. And most likely it didn't happen. But there's enough, there's enough popular theory behind it and enough, just enough realistic um, teeth to the concepts and the theories behind it that it's, it was worth putting in there for me. And like I said earlier, Tesla is so ingrained in all this fringe science. I mean, I didn't realize this until I really got into the research that you follow all our fringe science, including UFOs, and Tesla is somewhere in it. He's in all of it. It's incredible. So I think that was kind of the idea behind putting the bibliography in the back. I, I kind of wanted people to see that this. I didn't make all this up. This is all happening. The, the, the crazy military war uh, applications of Tesla is real, like Reagan's Star Wars program, and like I said, the HARP program that's uh, up in Alaska. And there's something similar in Russia that we don't know anything about, but we we can see satellite photos of it. And 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 the, and, the, and the conspiracy theories, which are completely just conspiracy theories, are that they can turn this this uh, high frequency uh, antenna array on, and they can create an earthquake in Sichuan, China, or something like that, okay? I and mean, then it's all connected to it. So that's why I kind of just put this bibliography in there, because I just wanted people to see that it, it, some of these ideas are crazy, and I didn't make them up, and, and, and you can just kind of go with it. It seems like it's kind of a rabbit hole you can fall down. Just yeah. Just like it, researching and finding more and more and more. Yes, I, w I was Alice, and I went all the way down the hole. I had a lot of fun. Did you kind of have to boil down um, to get to certain ideas or certain concepts, like a lot about like different things, and like, okay, I need just some of this? Hmm, yes. I mean, no, no I think I used it all. <laughs> no, of course you do. You have to boil it down because the... Yeah, when you're writing a story, obviously there's a story. I mean, and the story isn't about the fringe science, and it's about Rob Rassel, right? I mean, it's his, that's his hacker crime tag. Uh, Rob Johnson, it's it's his story. It's his mistakes and his life and his decisions. And so you kind of have to find these things that you know make the story exciting, but. Ultimately, it all has to relate to him and keep the story moving forward. And I was—I knew I wanted to do the Tesla parts of the story, but I didn't know exactly how I was going to handle it. I didn't want Tesla to be a character in the book. And, I mean, you saw the way I did it, right? I mean, it was not like... It's not like we flash back to Tesla's life, and I, you didn't see Tesla moving around his studio and talking to people. I... I treated it like a different kind of a book. It was more like um, more like a documentary where you're looking at like photographs and hearing a narrative, which turns out to be kind of Rob's inner dialogue with himself. Apparently, you know, he 
he's fascinated with Tesla. It, it informed him his whole life. You know, he was always he always loved the conspiracy theories, and he just loved the that that fringe science and the craziness and the eccentric nature of Tesla's character and his tragic fall uh, from from fame and celebrity. But I was able to like kind of like parallel Tesla's bad decisions and fall with Rob's. And that was not something I had originally planned from the beginning. That was just one of those things that kind of revealed itself in the making. And I thought, oh, that's, that's nice. Here's his hero, and he's making the same, you know, decisions and the same kind of career arc, kind of defeating himself at every turn. Um, and also, I just like Tesla, so I wanted to spend some time talking about <laughs> I think that's fine. Um, well, you know, I, well, I was... I was in Lucca, Italy, at, at a show there, and I have a, a an Italian publisher, Bao, uh, and Michele is my publisher, and he he was reading Rassel, and uh, he he's publishing it now in in Italian, but he hadn't yet. But he was talking to me about it, and he was he was very excited about Rassel, and he he said something that I thought was really observant. He said, "Ah, this Tesla stuff, you know, that you're doing." He goes. That's your Melville spending time talking about whale heads. <laughs> I said, dude, that's exactly what it is. That is perfect. And in fact, that's it's. I just can't even believe you got that. Yeah, that's. I'm just doing a digression. That's I think part of storytelling. You know, it's. Of course, I'm a Moby Dick fan, so. I, that's I won't true. bore you with the, the details. <laughs> I had forgotten about the uh, the prominence of Moby Dick and Bone. Um, yeah. <laughs> did you get yourself a Kate Beaton Tesla T-shirt yet? A what? Kate Beaton. She did uh, some T-shirts with Tesla on it. Oh, I didn't. I've read her strips, but I haven't got one of the shirts. I'm totally going to get one though. Yeah. I think Topatico has some. I seem to remember seeing them. She did the. The, the 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 sexy Tesla with the uh Yeah, I've seen the, I've definitely read her I've read the Tesla strip she's done. I didn't know she had T shirts of them. God bless Kate Beaton. She's a national treasure up here, you know. Oh yeah. I know. She is a national treasure. And actually you had her you just um did the best American comics, the most recent one you're the guest editor and she did the cover. That's right, so. yeah. It's actually coming out next month. I mean, it might actually come out in October. I think it was a September book, but it's actually going to ship in October. Yeah, yeah, no, that was um, that was a lot of fun to do. And when they asked me, you know, who could do the cover, they asked for like I think they asked for like four suggestions so they could go down the list, you know, and if somebody couldn't do it for time reasons or or didn't want to or whatever, you know, they had four alternatives. And my first choice was Kate Beaton. I, 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 she's just, I, she's just very exciting right now. Uh, to me, I mean, I think I love what she's doing, and she agreed, and I'm thrilled, and I love the cover. I'm not sure I, I get it though. She got like this cranky old cat lady working at her, smoking a cigarette and working at her desk. <laughs> Have you seen the cover? Oh yeah, no, I love it. I'm a, I love it. I'm, I'm love a big it. Kate fan. Um, what was the process like putting that together? Because I don't think I've ever actually talked to anyone any of the editors about their volumes uh, the process was it was a year-long thing although it, it wasn't you know constant it would cut, go in waves like um so you don't do so i'm even though it says uh it's the best american comics which includes it's all of north america so it's yeah. canada and the u.s uh, and it says best american comics 2013 but really anything that came out in september on in 2012 did not count. So I my my year was it goes September to September. So I, my stuff was the stuff that came out in um, 2012, 2011, starting in September, going up to the next September in 2012. Mm -hmm. Isn't that weird. Okay. <laughs> it's I it, I know a lot of people are like it's kind of abstract the, the the definition. Yeah. It is. It, 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 it's, it's, it's for a 12-year period, and it's not for 2013. It's for, you know, 2011 and 2012. It's, it's very strange. So, for example, like, um, you know, a big book last, in two, last year was uh, Chris Ware's Building Stories, but that came out in September. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, that was uh, that was not in my that wasn't in my group. So I wasn't that didn't happen in my book. So, but but basically, so that's the basic framework. So you go from September to September, and it really started I think around Thanksgiving. You start getting boxes of books because um, I had Jessica Abel and Matt Madden are the, were the, are the series editors, mm-hmm. and. They were like, you know, they actually do the first kind of weeding it down, but they still send me a hell of a lot of books, just boxes of them. And it's everything, Robin, from uh, little do-it-yourself mini-comics that are, can be just a simple, you know, take them to a copier place in black and white, to beautiful do-it-yourself uh, silkscreen covers, which is stuff I, I've always loved. Um, and then regular comics, and then, of course, graphic novels. And then, then I think the very last box I got was late summer last year, and it was just full of, you know, these $35 or $40 hardcovers from big New York publishers, you know, real yeah. publishers doing stuff like Habibi and um, my friend Dahmer. And what was it? Well, it was another one that blew my mind. It was Helen Keller was really good. Oh yeah, Joseph Lambert's book. That thing is amazing. Yeah. yeah. So basically, I spent you know throughout all year. I mean, I had all these piles, these big stacks, from one end to the other in my studio. It was really kind of fun. And um, I mean, it was sort of like the kid in me was like, "This is awesome! I get to, my job is to read <laughs> comics." And I told this story a couple times that I had, I had a lot of fun. Like one day, I actually. Went to the store and bought some cookies and milk. And I brought it back and I got a little plate and I laid on the floor in my stomach and I read comics all day. Of course, the next day I drank bourbon. <laughs> so is uh, Maker's Mark your bourbon of choice? Uh, can you tell? <laughs> <laughs> I was I was reading the comic and like you got the bottle spot on. <laughs> like even like uh, it was lovingly rendered. <laughs> Even how you have to have like the the top screw top, which will break off. Cause exactly. Of the, yeah, the, the wax and the seal. Melt, the little, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, somebody in a uh, a review kind of chastised me for misspelling whiskey by leaving the e out. But I'm like, uh, uh-uh, man, take a look at the bottle. <laughs> they do not have. It. They spell it just K Y. Yeah. There's uh. There's there's different types of whiskey. It's, uh, it's a very yes. I do. I I do like Maker's Mark quite a bit, and and I drank it a lot more while I was drawing Rassel than I had previously. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it, it it can be the official sponsor for your uh, upcoming signings or something. Yeah, I'll have to contact them to see what they think. <laughs> now, one of the things you're doing coming up soon is the uh, event in in your hometown of Columbus uh, for yeah. the Billy Ireland School. Yeah, the Billy Ireland Museum. That's at, the, that's at Ohio State University. And uh, they have a cartoon library there, which has been named many things since I, I first discovered it in like the early 80s when I was going to school there. And I think it, back then it was called the Milton Kniff Graphic Library or something like that. And then... Then uh, it's gone through many names, but now its final name uh, seems to be the Billy Ireland Cartoon Library and Museum. And Billy Ireland was Milton Kniff's mentor. He was like the first really big, popular cartoonist in Columbus. Uh, and his family uh, put up a <laughs> boatload of money and, and uh, got the naming rights. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, the university has kind of gotten behind it, and so has um, Jeannie Schultz, Charles Schultz's widow. Uh, and and they have moved from this little tiny library where they've been for 30 years to this gigantic, big old building that was built in like 1895, right at the gateway of campus. A gorgeous old building that used to belong to the Historical Society here. And... Um, they're making their move, and the official opening will be in November, I think, November 14th and 15th. And, uh, I mean, it's open to the public, and I encourage everybody who loves comics, this is worth a trip across the country for. Look, at, uh, look up 
OSU's Billy Ireland Museum, figure out what the festival is and register, because this is going to be something. They're going to have a opening ceremony festival. It's going to last, you know, all weekend. they got the Hernandez brothers are coming, Eddie Campbell, Matt Boers, Patrick Donald, uh, Paul Pope and I are going to do a couple of things there. Uh, I, I think it's going to be dynamite. And there's going to be exhibits. You're going to see original art that will blow your mind. Windsor McKay, George Harriman, Milton Kniff, Bill Watterson. I mean, it, it, this is going to be an event. I hope people come to see it. I didn't know they had Bill Watterson stuff there. That's they have all impressive. his stuff. Wow. They have, yep, yep. It's, it's, he, uh, yep, he's got, he placed all, all his original art there. Wow. Yeah, it's a wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's all wow. It's, this, this library is, is the bomb. I don't think there's anything like it. And their new facility lets them, I mean, they're just a research facility right now. I mean, that's what they've been, because their quarters on campus were so tiny. You had to go in. There's a little reading room. You, if you're writing a paper on, you know, a particular cartoonist, you could, you know, ask for specific pages and they would go back and bring it to it. This is going to be a whole new thing. This is going to still have that uh, research aspect to it, but it's going to have, there's going to be exhibits. There's going to be, you know, revolving exhibits. There'll be permanent exhibits. Uh, there's going to, I mean, you're, it, it's going to be, I can't wait. I've been waiting for this since, uh, since I first met Lucy, Lucy Caswell, who was the founding curator of it. And this has been like her dream the whole time and it's finally happening. The, but she's semi-retired now, and it's now uh, Jenny Robb is the curator there now. They have, from what I understand, they have a pretty, pretty strong, stellar team of folks. It's, the people I've met have been pretty interesting and very knowledgeable. Yes, and I'm very enthusiastic about it. In case you couldn't tell. Now, yourself, being a learned man of comics, were there any artists yourself you would go to see work original work by, um, oh, uh, as a student, like? you know, a continuing student of comics? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Milton Kniff, I can't, you cannot look at a piece of his original art and not learn three things. <laughs> Every time you look at it. Uh, Harriman is one of my favorite people to look at original art. And, of course, uh, Walt Kelly is, uh, and Schultz. I mean, yeah, no, yeah, there's quite a few people. And they really do have, like, you know, multiple pieces. Oh, Hal Foster. I just, last time I was there, I saw Hal Foster uh, Sunday page. And that actually wasn't the last time I was there, but uh, it really influenced my next project, which is this online thing called Tukey Save the Humans. And I want to do big pages. I heard they're where, huge. Hmm? I heard the Hal Foster pages are kind of huge. That's a, that's exactly right. That's why I, these Hal Foster pages they're they are huge. They're gosh, I, I let me see if I can picture in my head how big it might be. They're probably like uh, thirty by know, thirty by twenty or something. I mean, they're almost poster size, and they're just magnificent. You know, <laughs> you know the ink work is mind boggling. So yeah, so yeah, to answer your question, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I still, I'm still learning stuff by looking at other people's work for sure. Now you mentioned a second ago the uh, online comic you're starting up. Um, mm -hmm. What was the choice to? And you've probably been asked this before, and I'm just asking it again. To to use that as a as an avenue, or a I actually haven't been asked that that much. Um, I just. I just think that's the future, you know? I mean, that's, we, we got, I mean, the online world is, is where we're heading. I mean, I don't think that print is going away, but uh, it would be foolish to think that, you know, the web comics and, and digital is just a, is, is just a fad. I mean, that's, that's, that's for real. And so, so obviously just on, and in one sense, I, I can see that's a future, so I'd like to, like to explore it but more than that I've always been interested in uh, how, what, what I don't know what to call it but I don't know the the 
I'm trying to come up with a phrase for it, but like the what the new and the young people are are working with, like the ent- maybe the entry level, maybe that's a better way to put it. Sort of like what, what got drew me to self publishing was that I could control it, that it yeah. was uh, it was a, a medium I could wrap my head and my hands around and 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 work with, and even though I've had opportunities to, you know, go do other things, it's still what I want to do. I still, Rassel is still self-published, you know, Vijaya, who's my business partner and my, my best friend and my wife. Um, we still publish that together. We, we, we probably could have, you know, sold that project, uh, but we didn't want to. We want to, we still like doing it on this kind of earthy level. Mm-hmm. Where you're kind of like just wading in and, and going for it. And when I, I mean, I very much prefer going to a show like SPX um, or Brooklyn or something where I can see, you know, people who are really pursuing their own ideas and are controlling their own destiny. And I feel like that that arena is very much alive on the web. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, one of the things I did a panel a couple of years ago at TCAF, um, and it was with a bunch of different web cartoonists, Kate Beaton and Rich Stevens, and uh, I think Jeff Jocks and uh, James Sturm when he was doing his uh, internet sabbatical, um, staying away from the internet at that time. Uh, one of the things that people were really talking about is just how egalitarian it is, um, not having to have either the assistance to support or um, dealing with gatekeepers and whatnot. And it's an easier way of self-publishing than necessarily the, the traditional when you're starting up of having to, you know, invest this mass amount of money, um, which may not end up working out for a lot of folks. The art, the art form certainly has benefited, I think, from the democratization brought about by self-publishing, by indie comics, and by web comics. It is, it is, I think you've described it perfectly. I'm a little distraught by how little money cartoonists are making at it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if distraught's the right word, but I, it pisses me off, how about that? <laughs> um, there's got to be a way for the web to remunerate people and I mean people are expo- they're exploring things with it now but that's kind of what's interesting to me is how do you make money at this because if that's the new thing yeah it's easier to self-publish but you know I want the best cartoonists making cartoons and they're not going to be doing it if they're not getting money yeah so we've there's got to be a way to compensate the people for it. And like there are some models out there now. There are subscription models. There's put it up for free and then do a book. Um, that's, it, in fact, that's the model I'm following. I, I, I call it the Faith Aaron Hicks model, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, she and First Second started this where they, you know, they, it was, well, I mean, other people have done it, but this was the one, first one that like really kind of worked. Uh, and she did Friends with Boys, and I, I think she'd finished it or darn near finished it when she had her book deal, and then they decided to serialize it for free. Mm-hmm. And then once there was this big online community, I th- they put the book out. I think they took it offline. I don't think you can read the whole thing for free anymore. But uh, And that model, they've First Second has repeated that with uh, Mark Siegel's Sailor Twain book, and with uh, the next Faith Aaron Hicks book. So that's an interesting model. I'm not sure it's the one, but I think that's one I'm going to try. I know um, Dash Shaw, with his um, Body World, he put he had lots online before he got a contract with Pantheon. And it's still yeah, all online. Yes, that's, that is actually true. But I don't, and I haven't talked with Dash Shaw about this, but I, I wonder if he ever intended it to be in print, because that's one of the particularly ingenious web comics that are designed for the for the medium. Mm-hmm. And I'm not I'm not completely convinced that it works as a printed book. 
And I don't think I mean, you're alone in that. Huh? I don't think you're alone in that. Okay. Well, I mean, and I'm not. I'm not saying that his work isn't brilliant, but on the web, there are times when you feel like you're falling. You know. <laughs> uh, but in the book, I mean, obviously they had to compromise some of those effects. So uh, yeah, it's one of the few books that truly got what the medium could do. Mm-hmm. And I don't even want to try to do that. I mean, I might <laughs> want to. I do want to do that eventually, but not not my first go. Um, like I said, as I was starting to say, my I, uh, my pictures, I want to do these kind of Alex Raymond, Hal Foster Sunday pages. I want to really kind of kind of create an experience on the page. I'm doing them horizontally so that they're more letterbox, so the shape of a computer screen. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm doing different layouts than I did in either Rassel or Bone, which is kind of fun and scary because you have to learn something new. It's, it is really, I don't know, I'm really fascinated um, right now by just how beneficial that avenue has been. I mean, um, the French cartoonist Boulet, you know, if he just only had books in print and came to America, no one would have cared. Uh, but because he has this amazing website with these, like, volumes and volumes of amazing strips that he had done, it's like the sensation of Boulet's coming. Yeah. Well, he's fucking awesome anyway. <laughs> 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 well, it's like you said. I mean, he doesn't even need it. But, you know, there's a, there's a, there are some people that can just keep it going. Uh, I... Uh, yeah, and what was I thinking of? Um, in San Diego at the Comic-Con, I was on a panel. It was the 35th anniversary of The Contract with God by Will Eisner, um, which was a which was a really fun panel to do, and I was very pleased to be asked on it. It was Paul Levitz put the panel together, and he had Dennis Kitchen, who was you know a longtime publisher of Will, and he had Neil Gaiman, um, Scott McCloud, and myself. And it was really fun listening to everybody talk about their experiences with Will. And the two things that kind of came out of that were that Will 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 stayed engaged with the comics medium, and he really kind of I'm going to almost say he kind of insisted, like when he would meet you, that you be very collegial, that you're very open and friendly with even, you know, people who are, you know, so, so we, everybody would share their stories and share warnings and, you know, warn each other about pitfalls and, and, and be very open. So he was very much collegial that way. And I feel like a lot of the people in my generation really picked up on that. And the other thing that came out of it was his ability to stay focused and active all the way up till the very end. I mean, he was, was he in his late 80s or early 90s? I can't remember which one right now off the top of my head. But he was still doing work uh, right up until the end. And some of it, some of his work was really, really good still up to the end. And he, and he stayed interested in what, what, what the new young people were doing all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's a great model I think that's a really fascinating thing. I remember Scott McCloud telling a story um, about being an SPX with Will and just kind of seeing him seeing, you know, where all these guys were comics are going to come and getting these, like, super abstract mini comics. And It's a neat story about how these, these weird little minis and then from all these folks come these big books and these interesting books. I think one of them was, like, he got... Craig Thompson's mini, and he's like, you'll have a big book, and then, you know, Blankets comes out. (laughs) Yeah, I was there that year, I remember. I remember seeing Will, and he was so excited. SPX, like, definitely was, like, plugging him into a socket. (laughs) He was was pretty... He was there all the time. He was on the floor all the time, and he was talking to people all the time. It was a really good show. And you're going to be at SPX this year. I am going to SCX this year. You're not, you, know? you are? I got a book to promote. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got a new book coming out. It's called Rassel. Yeah, it's called Rassel. R-A-S-L. It's got Tesla in it. It's got Tesla. There we go. Rassel has Tesla. 
That's a good. Uh, yeah, yeah. I know. Um, in the early days, I went to every SPX. I mean, it was, it was, that was just part of my life. Uh, now I, now I, I go every few years. I like to. It's still. I get the same kick out of it. I think Will used to. I mean, I like to walk around and see what people are doing. I mean, it's it's exciting. I mean, these are, the people at SPX are people that are like authors. They're the ones who are doing what they want to do. They're not the people who are doing what you know a company told them to do, or you know what what an editor wanted one person to write and another person to color. The whole factory, yeah, whole factory situation at the at the big comic book companies. I was thinking about that about how you did the the Shazam thing that we mentioned earlier and you've been staying pretty much with your own stuff except for the tune book um which is my own stuff also yeah yeah i mean i just mean the the self published thing but i think you know you're working with Francois Millie so that's a pretty great thing to be able to say um but was that experience of working for i don't want to say the man but you know, for DC Comics. I mean, DC Comics is the man. Now, more than ever, probably, um, it, it, it's gotten even more so institutional. And I'm wondering, like, doing that, kind of putting yourself into that position of working with institutional comics, um, how is that for you as far as, like, pushing back into, really diving into your vision? Uh, well, I mean, for me, I, I just kind of look back on it like a, ca- a palate cleanser. And I might have even said that when we talked about it before. Maybe not. But it's, you know, I'd, I'd been working on Bone for 12 years. And um, even though I was pleased to get to the end of it and was looking forward to moving on, I'd already been thinking about Rassel at that point, but I didn't have, I didn't have it really, I was quite ready to go. I had not hit that sweet spot where I knew the characters and I knew what was really happening, um, and it was—I was having a hard time making the switch. Not a terrible hard time, but the opportunity to do, you know, a, a, a relatively short, um, you know, miniseries of a self-contained Shazam thing uh, was kind of nice for me. It, it helped me. It helped create a, a break between Bone, uh, which has a pretty big shadow. Yeah. I mean, for me, you know, emotionally, it was a big, big shadow to get out from under. So I was able to do Shazam, and uh, you know, I, it, it, to be honest, I don't, I don't think much about that experience. I did not have a bad experience. I, I had a very good editor, Mike Carlin, uh, who was the editor in chief when I started the project, uh, and then he was replaced by Dan DiDio as I was finishing up the book. So. Uh, it was a, that was a strange experience. That was that corporate. Um, wow, I'm working with editor in chief, and he loves me, and this is going to be great. And now all of a sudden, Dan DiDio comes in, and he doesn't really like this kind of book that much. Um, but I will say that he he looked at the stuff, and he liked the covers I had done, and he got behind it. So that was good. And thank God it did okay. But I, but like, like I said, to me, I look back on it as more like just a, a palate cleanser that p- allowed me then to do Rassel. Yeah. And Rassel, um, I was thinking about. I got the big book, the nice foam book, um, when it was coming out, coming out the issues. But then you also did these oversized trade paperbacks of three right. issues. And I'm curious about the choice of doing that. I was picking them up as the big books. Um, the, the tall books, I should say. Right, right. Uh, I guess they're, what, raw size about that? Yeah, yeah. They um, were, well, and that was kind of my original concept was I wanted to do these large, you know, European album, at least. But, yeah, like raw size or Andy Warhol's interview, you know. I wanted, I wanted to do something large and... Um, Just because of that, I mean, I just wanted the impact. I wanted the the pages to be at your the edge of your peripheral vision, you know, <laughs> and really and really like really take you into the story. Um, and and I did it, um, but, but I had a little trouble getting traction with Rassel in the early days. 
uh, and I try so I tried a couple different formats. You know, we we did the regular comic book, then we did collections in like you're saying in the tall size, the raw size, um, and then I did like a little pocketbook size, which was less about doing a small version as it was about taking like two of the big tall books and putting them together where I thought there'd be more story. Because mm-hmm. I, I almost think we. We came out too quick with the first Russell collection. It wasn't enough story. That just it was. I mean, it was three issues, but they were big issues. They were thirty-two page issues, so it was almost a hundred pages. Uh, and with extra stuff I put in there, it was a hundred pages. But it wasn't quite. It was still the introductory moment of meeting the characters. You didn't really get a chunk of story to sink your teeth into, and I felt like that may have slowed the momentum down. You know what I mean? So, since I self-publish, you know, my wife and I have the option to discuss it and try options. Yeah. We don't we don't have to give up on it. You know, we can go, oh, let's try something else. So that's when we did these little pocketbooks. I don't know if you've seen those, but they're yeah. smaller, more conventionally sized graphic novels, but they were twice the amount of story. And that was the first time we started to see a little traction where... People went, oh, oh, I get the story. I see what's happening here. And then we started to see a little excitement build. So that's one of the advantages to self-publishing and controlling your own work, which is the point to self-publishing, by the way. Yeah. It's yours. You can do what you'd like. Yes, keep it in print. <laughs> now, while working in Russell, um, you... Had, did you have an injury in your drawing hand? I've seen photos with like a brace. Yeah, I had I got carpal tunnel syndrome uh, as I was finishing up bone. You know, I was really pulling twenty-hour days for a month on end, and I thought I was just tired. I couldn't like close my right hand, my drawing hand. Um, and I ended up wrapping my arm in ace bandages from the shoulder all the way down to the individual fingers, you know, were getting wrapped. Uh, and I actually made it through bone and then was starting to draw the scripts for the Shazam book. And all of a sudden I couldn't, I couldn't move my hand and I realized I had to go see a doctor. Fortunately, I had only done muscular damage. I had done no nerve damage. So the doctor said to me, you have to stop drawing for at least eight months. I don't want you to pick up a pencil. And I, they gave me like this, um, you know, some very easy exercises to do and uh, gave me a, a brace that went, you know, on my entire forearm and my hand just kept it like locked in this neutral position. And I had to wear it night and day. I had to sleep in it and I wear it during the day. Uh, and... It was kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't know if I was going to draw again. I mean, it was it was serious. Yeah. But fortunately, um, I, I took it very seriously and, and, and didn't fool around. And that's one of the reasons Shazam was extra late, was because there, almost a year I was I could draw. Uh, and, so, and that's another thing when I think about Shazam, when I look at that, I look at me trying to relearn how to draw with a brace on my hand. There's some kind of awkward drawings in there that I maybe other people don't see, but I just I can hardly look at it. But I had to learn to redraw. Do you still draw with the brace, or? Yeah, yeah, yeah I had to learn. Uh, I mean, I probably can't, I can draw without it, and it's it's healed. I have no no pain or any problems at all. But I'm terrified of re-injuring it yeah yeah i don't want to go back to that so yeah i um yeah i've learned to draw and ink with the brace on whether i need it or not do you place limits on yourself about how much work you'll do um, i try but um i don't seem to be very successful at it i i always get behind the eight ball a little bit and find myself you know rushing to finish things uh, even with Rassel, my I had this plan where I was going to do these 32-page books. I'd only do like three of them a year. That was my plan, right? I thought, oh, it'll be easy. And I've already, you know, nobody. I'm an old man. Nobody gives a shit what I'm doing anymore. I can, I can, I can just do these, you know, slightly larger books three times a year, and it'll be fine. But man, people would do did not like that idea. <laughs> <laughs> people want their stories, man. 
and uh, and I have a reputation somewhat deserved, maybe not as much as I get, but uh, of being slow as molasses. So I found I had to start cranking out Rasslatus, make 22-page issues like Bone, and crank them out every two or three months. I know other artists have kind of had to do something to step back. Folks that still do stuff in Comic like I know for Brennan Graham for Multiple Warheads, it's going to be like maybe three or four issues a year and just done yeah. as like mini-series. Here's the latest one. Monthly, it's done. And I was talking to Dave Cooper before about how he'd like to one day be able to do that, but he would only do it if he was able to have everything done and could just put it out. But yeah. It's a, it's hard to maintain momentum uh, if you take too long between issues. I certainly think putting out a book every two or three months is seems to work. I mean, I've been doing that for 20 years, and you can maintain enough momentum, but you really do have to you do have to keep it up. Any slower than that, it's hard. But I think I think putting out you know a book on that kind of schedule would work. I. I got a gram piece in the best american comics too it's pretty interesting it's a little speaker. short story he did huh yeah speaker. speaker you know the, you know the piece okay oh yeah 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 we're, that's we're good, buddies oh that's awesome yeah. yeah i i really like his stuff quite a bit i'm i'm a i'm an obvious big fan but maybe i'm you know prejudiced <laughs> <laughs> i think i think you're the audience for this book <laughs> yeah. no. um we're at our hour um Thank you, Jeff, for taking the time hey. to chat with me. Uh, reminder, folks. It's a real pleasure, Robin. It was very fun. Thanks for calling me, man. Thank you. And a reminder, Jeff's new book is Rassel, out from Cartoon Books. It'll be out in September. Out in September, I think we're going to premiere it at some of the comic shows on the East Coast, like SPX and the Brooklyn Book Festival. The Brooklyn Comics Festival. Comic Arts Hi. Brooklyn. Thank you. Yes, it has a new name, so I wasn't quite Cab. sure the new name. Yes. As, ah. yeah, cab. I'll remember that. Yeah, that 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 is worked. It's actually a lot less that of a handful than the previous uh, Brooklyn Comic Graphics Festival. Um, <laughs> as well, you can see Jeff's work or Jeff's uh, editorial hand in the Best American Comics 2013, which will also be out in the fall. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you, Robin. So why didn't you ask me, baby? Or didn't you think 